1: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. As we sit here today, we are on the first day of the Division Series. We've got the 2NL Series starting later tonight. Obviously, we're going to talk about all four playoff series, talk a little bit about the wildcard games we just saw, and I think we're going to start with the game that I watched very intently, Rockies and Cubs, which was a, a blast. Uh, as you may have known, we were fortunate enough to be able to do a stackcast focused broadcast on ESPN2, myself and Jason Benetti and Eduardo Perez, and it was just the most fun in the world, and we were really fortunate to get a really good memorable game 13 innings um I don't know what it looked like for you Matt and for everybody else but uh for me it was basically the most fun I've ever had and I really appreciate that whoa everybody not
0: you mean not this not this podcast
1: I appreciate that everybody seemed to like it I don't think I've ever seen Twitter so unified in favor of one thing ever on anything but I really uh, I appreciate that Twitter doesn't usually make you feel good and before we get into it I do have to I, I want to point out my favorite tweet I got from from someone uh From outside of Chicago, her name is Stephanie. She said that her seventh grader is a big fan of us, and they went to the game, which is cool. They went to the Cubs game, that meant they couldn't watch the broadcast, and his name is Matthew, and I wanted to point that out. And uh, I liked this so much. When when Pat Vileka came in to pinch hit, she asked her son what he knew about him, and he said, I think they mentioned him on the StatCast podcast, and that might not be a good sign, (laughs) because we probably didn't say anything very nice about him. Uh, So thank you for listening, Stephanie and Matthew, because I thought that was so cool. And uh, yeah, that game was great. The Cubs are out the Rockies move on. We'll talk about them in a second. Uh, what, what was your kind of takeaway from the Cubs-Rockies there?
0: Um, I can't. I still cannot believe uh, that the Rockies ended up winning that game. Um, I know the Cubs have had some surprising offensive struggles this year. There was the stat that I was making the rounds, which I still sort of can't wrap my head around during the regular season. The only team that had more games that they scored one or zero runs than the Cubs was the Orioles, uh, by far the worst team in baseball. And then, of course, the Cubs... In game one sixty three, scored one run, and then in the wild card game, in thirteen innings, scored one run. So that I couldn't believe because the Rockies once they double switched out Blackman in what I thought was a bizarre move. Yeah, uh, the Rockies were left with. I mean, they're basically a, a their offense is, is is kind of a three man team, a four man team.
1: Well, I would have put David Dahl into that before. <laughs> you know, what did you come up with that day? Like zero for six with seven outs, maybe was a double play. Like, through
0: his first five at bats, it was. Five at bats, nine pitches seen, six outs made, <laughs> and a terrible outfield play, and a, and a dropped outfield uh, fly ball. Uh, so he had a brutal, and then he went and struck out one more time. He had an absolutely brutal game, uh, and he's. I think you, you. When we were discussing this earlier. You pointed out he's had huge home road splits, so a lot huge. of his
1: second second largest to only Aaron Judge.
0: So you know a lot of his. I guess at home there may be a four man team, but overall on the road there it's basically Blackman, Story, and Arenado, and after that it's.
1: Well, we'll get back to the Rockies when we start talking about the the rockies Brewers, And then also last night, Yankees and A's. And obviously, the Yankees won that. And I feel like the takeaway for most people from that game is going to be the A's started an opener and it didn't work. Now, a couple points on that wasn't really an opener it was a bullpen game i really feel like to have an opener you have to have a guy coming in in short relief followed by your regularly scheduled starter who gives you you know four or five innings i know blue trivino wet three innings i don't really think that was an opener this is all semantics it really doesn't matter what you call it um i also don't think it was the wrong choice because yeah liam hendricks gave up two runs but also you know to aaron judge who was awesome like is and, there really and a G- huge...
0: aaron judge is awesome at home too like the best right. home hitter in exactly baseball
1: right is there a real huge difference like if you had put in mike fires or edwin jackson the difference between those two guys and Liam Hendricks is that the first two can probably go deeper into the game. I don't actually think there's any skill level difference. The idea that Edwin Jackson was going to prevent Aaron Judge, like literally Edwin Jackson or Mike Fires, I don't think it was the wrong choice so much as I don't think they had any better choices to make.
0: Yeah, uh, Grant, Grant Bisbee wrote a piece uh, for SB Nation about this. Basically, said, the pitchers that pitched for the A's in last night's game this season combined for like 320 innings and like a 2.8 ERA. So basically he was like, imagine like this was like some the eighteen hundreds and this was like some old Haas Radborn. You'd be like, Of course I will start this pitcher who's thrown three hundred innings and had a two point eighty RA and expect him to pitch the entire game. Why wouldn't I do it that
1: way? I was I was amazed last night at just how quickly baseball changed. And I, I tweeted this out. You know, three years ago Matt Harvey comes in for the ninth inning. You're never gonna see that again. Two years ago, Zach Britton doesn't pitch. You're never gonna see that again. Last year, Lance McCullers gets yanked <clears> in game seven of the World Series throwing a shutout. That's like Starting to see a sea change, and then yesterday we have a bullpen game, and then Blake Trinan coming in in the sixth inning, which is I have more questions as do you about how Bob Melvin used his bullpen in the middle innings than I do to start the game.
0: Yeah, to me the 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 Hendricks gambit was a totally defensible one. He served in that role all September as he did. You know, he opened a few games. He had pitched well in that role. He throws ninety seven in short spurts. Like that made perfect sense to me. To me, the weirdest decision was bringing in Fernando Rodney in I guess I can't I think it was the bottom of the fifth or the bottom of the sixth.
1: Uh the fifth, I think. Yeah.
0: Um I but either way it was 2 0 at the time. Aaron Judge was leading off 2 3 4 in the Yankees lineup. And he gives up a cheap double to Judge, admittedly. It was like Judge hit one that like bounced loop, down yeah. the line that actually started out foul and then like <laughs> you, you know went went fair. Then he gives up a real double to Aaron Hicks, then a wild pitch, and they yank him. Two thoughts. One of which is at that point the game is really kind of in the balance. You know, you've you've blown a couple of rallies. They they put men on base. The previous two innings, the A's that is, uh, had not been able to do anything. A couple of really bad at bats. They had two men on against 2 Two O counts. They popped out twice on two and zero. Oh. Um, and then so you bring at that point this is the game. You need to get to the Yankees lineup and not let them score any more runs. You have Yusmero Petit available. You have Jairus Familia available. Heck, you even have Blake Trident available. You have to bring in one of those guys there. And the fact that Melvin yanked Rodney so quickly and rushed Trinan in the game, and there's some questions about whether or not Trinan was like properly warmed up, tells you he had no faith in Rodney. No. If you have any faith in Rodney, you don't yank him that quickly, which tells me... It was a terrible decision. It tells me he knows it was a terrible decision. I heard
1: a great stat this morning and I didn't independently verify this, but my friend Mike Farron said it on the radio, so I'm gonna assume it's true. Blake Trident gave up more runs yesterday than he did in any calendar month of the entire season. It tells you a lot about how good he was this year, but also how, you know, that's not how things were supposed to go last night.
0: So that, that was that the, the riding decision I kinda of had a kinda of knew that was gonna be a dicey one and then obviously it didn't pay off. Yes, there was a couple flu kits involved. Even the the Luke Voigt triple, which was like that was very much a Yankee Stadium I mean, you hit it hard, but yeah, it was like a fly. It was like a fly ball that fell away from Piscotti that, sure. like in any other park, is caught because the wall is not you know three hundred and ten feet away or whatever it is down down the line there. But it was uh, it was not meant to be for for the A's in that one.
1: Let's say farewell to the A's and point out that uh, no one is complaining that the A's season ended in a one game playoff as they certainly would have been if the Yankees had lost last night.
0: And the, the Yankees only had what three more wins in the A's? Yeah, year? I mean, really, this is
1: that was a, the game didn't turn out the way I expected it would, but you know. Great season for the A's, obviously coming out of nowhere. So the Yankees move on. They're facing the Red Sox. It's hard to believe that it's been almost fifteen years since the last time we've had Yankees Red Sox. It's actually been since two thousand four. You may remember what happened that year. That was a long time ago.
0: Yeah, the thing is because it happened three times in five years ninety nine oh three and uh, two thousand four. So it, it it you know it sort of it felt like. And it was hap- was happening in the short period. was happening all the right. time, but th- that's the only three times it's happened in history.
1: I think it's also because obviously those two teams are featured on national broadcasts like all the time. Obviously they're the big rivalry; they're always good. But it is cool that this is the first time they're facing off against one another, and in the DS,
0: first time they're facing off each other in the DS.
1: Since uh, I, no, the, oh, yeah. I was going to complete my thoughts since it. 2004, at all. Um, but what was cool to me, you know, looking back at the game last night and um, my favorite stack cast metric of the game was Aaron Judge hit his home run 116.1 miles an hour. It wasn't actually the hardest hit ball of the night because Stanton got one, you know, I think 117 point something. Aaron Judge obviously uh, had. Been out for uh, like two months after he gotten hit by a pitch and fractured his wrist. That was his hardest hit ball since coming back. And I think that's a big deal because he wasn't really that great. It kind of felt like they, you know, I don't want to say rushed him back because he was out for like twice as long as they said he was going to be originally. But he, you know, his numbers weren't that great when he came back. I think he took him like two weeks to hit a home run. 116.1 miles an hour is a big boy swing. You do not fake your way into that. It was his hardest hit ball since June 4th, which was nearly uh, two months before the injury. And I don't want to put too much emphasis on one single ball and saying he's back, but I don't think you can do that if you are not at least reasonably healthy. And that is that is a huge deal for me uh, looking ahead to this series.
0: No question. And now the the, uh, the stat I saw this morning is this year, including postseason, there are 68 batted balls of 160 mile, 116 miles per hour plus Yankees as a team have half of them. They have thirty-four,
1: mostly Stanton and Judge, I'm guessing, and maybe like uh, I don't know, Sanchez got a couple. I, yeah.
0: I no, no other team has more than six. The is, Yankees have thirty-four.
1: That is absolutely ridiculous. Stanton. It's yeah, it's
0: Stanton and I mean Sanchez has at least one. Yeah, I think it's just it's it's Stanton, Judge, and Sanchez.
1: Right. So that's amazing. And then you know the Red Sox won one hundred and eight games. I feel like they will probably be favored but I'm not sure that they should be. I don't know. I think I said this a couple weeks ago. I don't have a great feeling about this team. Like You have these guys who are amazing, like Bookie Betts, clearly going to win the MVP. J.D. Martinez has lived up to every expectation. I'm a little worried about Chris Sale, and I think that's something we need to talk about, right? I mean, he's going to start, but what did you look up the other day? He hasn't pitched into the sixth inning since, like, July.
0: Yeah, and even and even his last start in, you know, he hasn't pitched five innings since August, and, you know, his last start he went, like, four and a third. But it's not just this. So He's not really built up for endurance right now. And even in those short spurts, his velocity was way down.
1: Way down. And he was averaging about 97 miles an hour in the middle of the summer. And I think over his last, what was it, like 92, 93? 93, 93 yeah.
0: in the last month of the season.
1: That's worrisome. I mean, you need you need full strength, Chris Sale, because the other Red Sox starters are David Price, who I think people haven't really noticed how good of a year he has. He's actually been really good. Um, but I may I'm, give myself. I'm,
0: I may give, give myself. If you go back and listen to the archives of this show. We made our preseason predictions. I predicted the Red Sox would win the AL East because I said that David Price is going to be a good pitcher again. So yeah. I will give myself a pat on the what, back for one what one else, take. What else did you predict? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember my. I don't. This is only uh, hot takes uh, relive, not cold takes exposed. As
1: I remember, I predicted AJ Puck would be the rookie of the year in the American League. So that one worked out really well too. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm already like just. Pre-exhausted by the uh, David Price can't pitch against the Yankees takes, which I know we're going to hear a lot about, and I guess he needs to prove that he can otherwise. And then after that, Rick Porcello and I don't know, Eduardo Rodriguez. Maybe like that. rotation is with without a confidence in sale. That rotation worries me kind of a lot. And I look at the Yankee rotation. Luis Severino looked awesome last night. Right up until he didn't. He kind of started missing the strike zone. But in that first inning, he looked like a dude. I
0: mean, I was I was uh, I was fortunate enough to be in the stands for that game. I had uh, some pretty good seats uh, behind home plate and. His you you could his slider was so good last night the movement was really impressive and then he was touching hundred it was like sort of the Severino that we've come to know and credit to Aaron Boone obviously the wild card game is a little different because you have like the, the way your roster is constructed but I think he gave he took him out with he hadn't given him any hits yet.
1: Well, credit to Aaron Boone, but also I feel like he left him in too long. I, I feel like at the end of the fourth, it was seemed pretty clear that he had just given what he had to give, and then he comes back out and I, you know, two walks. I can't remember what happened, but like two guys got on base. Yeah, maybe
0: I thought no, he, he did he take him out after the, I thought he took him out after the first guy. The first well, hit. he had
1: given up a hit. I don't think. Okay, he gave maybe
0: that's whatever. Enough. Fair enough. You, you fair enough.
1: Do you know what we didn't talk about at all last night, or nobody talked about? Gary Sanchez behind the plate. Because it's it's never been as big of an issue as people make it out to be. You actually look fine behind the plate. I think it's a very tough catching staff to handle, and I also think people put a lot more emphasis in how detrimental that is compared to how positive like pitch framing is, just you just don't see it as much.
0: Yeah, and there was another stat I saw last night that the Yankees, um, as a team, did not throw a fastball slower than ninety six miles an hour.
1: That's last absurd. Night. That yeah. is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, so anyway, yeah.
0: So Chris Sale, the, the reason I'm worried about the Red Sox in this series, I think the, their lineup will be fine. Um, or you know, relatively fine. You know, obviously, in a small short series, any you know slump can happen. Whatever. There's, I don't really have any doubts about their lineup. Sale. The problem is their bullpen is not nearly as good as the Yankees bullpen. So if you're not getting a lot of innings from Sale, that has like a huge cascading effect on the rest of the pitching staff. And it's like, who's gonna bridge? The gap to the bullpen—that's not even that g- good to begin with.
1: I'm going to I'm going to disagree with you on a point you just made. You said you have no doubts about the Red Sox lineup. I was thinking about this. If you compare the infields for the Red Sox and the Yankees, in- include catcher here, right? So five spots. Is there any spot you take a Red Sox over a Yankee? I say outfield. Obviously, yes, there it, right? But in the infield, like right now, are you taking Mitch Moreland over Luke Voigt? You're probably not. Are you we- taking Are you taking I don't know Kinsler over g- Torres?
0: Well, it's interesting, you know, um, uh, Ian Brown, our Red Sox beat reporter, wrote a piece about this yesterday, and he kind of went through—the Red Sox are, gonna, are really going to kind of go with kind of aggressive platoons and changes at four positions, basically at third base— at second base, at first base, and catcher, you're going to see a lot of a lot of different starting alignments, and also I think you're going to see some aggressive pinch hitting.
1: Let's talk about catchers for a second. I looked this up, and this is not going to be a happy stat for Red Sox fans. There were 313 hitters who had at least 250 plate appearances this year. That's a lot of hitters. The bottom three in Weighted Runs Created Plus, 311 would be Chris Davis, that's Chris with a C, who had a historically bad season for Baltimore. The only two guys who were worse than Chris Davis where Christian Vazquez with a 42 weighted runs created plus, where 100 is league average, and Sandy Leon with a 33 weighted runs created plus. Boston catchers combined hit 194, 246, 288, with a weighted on base of 236, just below Chris Davis. For context, Billy Hamilton and Dee Gordon, who absolutely nobody think can hit, had a 277 weighted on base, 40 points better, and obviously there's not much to be done about that. And I know that everybody praises Sandy Leone for his work beyond the plate, but I have a hard time believing that that is so positive that it overcomes this. And let me say this: I think they should use a catcher opener. Well, this give, give him give him one plate appearance or whatever, get him out. They can carry three catchers because they have Blake Swihart too.
0: Uh, well, it's funny you should say that because obviously you didn't read Gary Ian Brown's piece because literally <laughs> I right not. here is. The likely scenario is that Leon is the opener in just about every game, kidding? giving the starting pitcher time to gain confidence. Look for Cora to pinch hit for him in crucial situations as early as the fourth or fifth inning.
1: Wow. Okay. I, I swear I hadn't read that piece. So good job, <laughs> Ian Brown, and good job, being. But it, you, you have to treat him as though he is a pitcher hitting. Like they, That is how weak he is at the bat, and you need to minimize the amount of plate appearances he takes.
0: Yes, and then you have the other thing that helps is they have, and this is why I think it's really interesting and why Cora could have a really big impact on the series, is they have Brockholt. And they've got Eduardo Nunez. And they've got Steve Pierce, who can also play the outfield.
1: Steve so have, Pierce. Oh, my heart is beating. Steve so Pierce. So they
0: have they, – they are going to – you know, they, they, they're going to move a lot of pieces around here. Uh, some aggressive pinch hitting. It's really going to test the limits of that roster because, as I was saying before, and I want to get back to sale for a second, uh, is they're going to need relievers probably to pitch a lot of innings. Because I don't um, – and this is why I think Nathan ivalde is going to be big. And Ian Brown, uh, when I spoke to him earlier, said he expects Ivaldi to kind of be the man on call in game one if Sale can't go deep into the game. Ivaldi was great in September. Had a 33% strikeout rate, uh, ERA of like 1.3, a FIP of 1.8. Always been a fan of his. He's really become reliant on his cutter. His splitter is still a, a swing and miss pitch. So to me, he's kind of a linchpin guy for them because – He's someone that if he came in after sale could give you three innings of dominant performance that would sort of maybe kind of paper mache over some of their weaknesses. The other guy they have is Stephen Wright, and obviously a knuckleballer comes in handy to give like to give length. But I have no faith in I, Stephen no, Wright.
1: Not against that Yankee lineup. Uh, Yankees in four.
0: Um, I'm gonna say Yankees in five, and I do think one of one thing that I last point on sale is. If I were the Red Sox, I would have started him in game two, like the Dodgers are doing with Kershaw, because I think they're going to they, they're almost certain to need their bullpen a lot with him pitching, and you want to have the day off after sale pitches. And uh, you would still have him set up to be on full rest in game five, assuming he looks good. So uh, I think that was a, a shrewd move by the Dodgers, and um, that's what I would have done if uh, I were the Red Sox.
1: All right, defensible. So we both picked the Yankees, I say, in four. You say in five. The other American League division series would be Cleveland and Houston uh houston i think uh, i've been on the record for a while as saying i believe is the best team in baseball they are my world series pick I and mean, we've talked about their bullpen i think a lot on this show i don't know how we haven't seen the rosters yet by the way i don't know how you do not include joshua james on this roster he's pitched six games 29 strikeouts and seven walks he's throwing like 99 and 100 all the time they have like 17 different pitchers with a case to be on this roster i i do not envy aj Hinch and, and friends for having to put this together i mean it's a good problem to have right let's be honest they have so many dominant relievers right
0: it's, now it's I could argue that maybe it's it's too good of a problem. Like it's it's really tough to make these decisions, and you could really second guess yourself because there's, as you said, there are literally like six guys off the roster who would be on like every other eight team. Yeah,
1: like like Tony Sip and Will Harris and like you know Chris Stavinsky, They may not make this roster. Like if you
0: take if you take put Kimbrell aside, like the Astros like B bullpen might be better like be better oh, than the rest sure. of the Red Sox. Bullpen. I
1: have no doubt that is a hundred percent true. I would I would take that.
0: So um, yeah, and that's and that's sort of the difference in this series because other like. In terms of starting pitchers, this is actually kind of a throwback series where all these other series are going to be so hinged on the bullpen. Yeah. like these are two the two best pitching starting pitching staffs in the postseason facing off in the in the DS, but the astros bullpen is just a lot deeper
1: and i i think the for cleveland trevor bauer is going to be coming out of the bullpen so he'll be an interesting weapon like
0: but i think as he could depending on how the games want to go he could end up starting game well, four like a Shorter start yeah man. so we'll, we'll see he's he's definitely you know the proverbial x factor in this game so in the series. I,
1: unsurprisingly these are two very good strikeout staffs right the astros uh had a strikeout rate of 28 and percent that is the highest of the year it is the highest ever Huge caveat being everybody's striking out more these days, so that's a little different. But still, they just had the highest strikeout rate in Major League history, so that is something. Uh, Cleveland had the fourth highest strikeout rate. By the way, the top five teams—Houston, Yankees, Dodgers, Cleveland, Boston—it's very good to strike out opposing hitters. So that's that's interesting. But what I also think is kind of cool about this is they are the two most difficult teams to strike out from the batting side. Cleveland had a 18.9% strikeout rate. That's the lowest in baseball, and Houston was 19.5%, the second lowest in baseball. So it's kind of cool to see like these you know, opposite forces going at one another. They're also a little bit different in the way that they have approached their uh, platoon hitting tendencies. Houston had the most hitting plate appearances from right-handed hitters over 4,600. Cleveland was second fewest under 2,600. The opposite side of that is Cleveland had the most hitting plate appearances from lefty hitters over 3,700. Houston had the fewest, 1,500. These are massive differences. Now, part of this is because Cleveland does have Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez and Melky Cabrera, who are switch hitters, whereas Houston basically has a ton of varieties and also Josh Reddick. If you look at the platoon advantage, Cleveland has a platoon advantage 70% of the time, most in baseball. Houston's 45% is 27th in baseball. Now, Houston's lineup is still very, very good. I don't think this is necessarily a disadvantage or not, but these numbers stood out to me because uh, they're two very different approaches to how they do this. And it's
0: sort of Could be maybe, if we're getting deep into matchups, a little bit problematic for the Indians just because, you know, they at the bullpen they're going to heavily rely on Andrew Miller and Brad Hand, uh, two lefties. I mean, granted, these guys have been guys who could, you know, dominate righties as well when they're at their best. But even Brad Hand this year, he allowed a – he allowed a – 729 OPS to righties and 537 to lefties.
1: So what you're saying is poor Josh Reddick because he's going to see those guys a lot. (laughs) Yes,
0: Uh, but everyone else, you know, like the, the Indians bullpen, those two guys may not seem as you know, daunting to the Astros as they might to other teams.
1: Well, we talked about Cleveland uh, on our most recent show, trying to figure out what in the world was wrong with Jose Ramirez. Like, he ended on the season on a pretty solid, like, six-week slump. And if he is not, you know, back to being himself, I think that is kind of a problem for, for Cleveland. I mean, they're, they're a very top-heavy team. You know, we talked about this, like, the top five or six guys in that roster matchup with anybody else's top five or six, a little thin after that. Um, I've already told you that I think Houston's going to win the World Series, so you know my prediction here. I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go nuts. Houston in three. Just because I don't, just because like I don't want to hedge my bets on everything here. Yeah, I um, come on, do I'll it. Say, I'll say four. That said, there's
0: definitely <laughs> sort of a, the Indians kind of have like a little bit of like an 06 Cardinals vibe to me. Remember, like the 04 Cardinals were one of the best teams in modern history. They won like 108 yeah. games, dominated. Then they they um, they make it to the World Series but lose. To the Red Sox. And then two years later, the Cardinals make the playoffs with, like, 83 wins and, like, figure out their way to, like, win the World Series. I think it was, it was maybe it was 85. I can't remember if it was 83 or 85. Maybe 85. Whatever. It was a very mediocre team. and I, The Indians sort of had, like, last year the Indians were, like, what, 22-game winning streak, one of the best teams in recent hey. memory. And then they lose in the DS. I kind of feel like if the Indians, like, and so people have kind of ignored them because the AL Central was brutal this year and they still like didn't really run away with it in like a impressive manner. But you know, you start now, all bets are off. Yes, logically I'll take the Astros in four, but Clean slate.
1: We have both predicted uh, Houston and the Yankees in the American League Championship Series, so I look forward to the inevitable Boston Cleveland American League Championship Series. Let's talk about the NL, which is actually kind of cool because, yes, the Dodgers are back, but then we get a bunch of new teams that we didn't see last year, unlike the American League, um, starting with the Dodgers and the Braves. Now, by the time you hear this, they may already be playing this game, so let's not do too much on the first game. As you mentioned, what's interesting about this is that Clayton Kershaw is not starting game one, he is starting game two, and I think that is the first time since 2009 that Kershaw has not started the first game of a a Dodger player series when he's been available to do so. Uh, Instead, it's been Hyunjin Ryu, who I think I've been talking about on the show for like two months now. He's been amazing. He's been really, really good. And uh, they did this so that they each get an extra day of rest. So they'll both be starting on five days of rest. Uh, Game two is Friday, so Kershaw would still be available to start a game five on regular rest, um, on a four-day rest or, you know, game one of the NLCS should they get there they pretty much said Kershaw's not starting any games on three days rest and although they did
0: leave open the possibility of him coming in relief on short rest but not starting on uh, short rest he's had
1: an interesting season because if you look at his numbers you know it's been pretty good right like his surface stats are perfectly fine but the dominance just hasn't quite been there you know and we know why the fastball velocity is down he's like 50 50 slider fastball at this point which is fine he's still very good it's just it's so fascinating to see him not starting the first game and I think it's super defensible like i i actually agree with this decision a lot i think it's based on the way is pitching and the, the extra day of rest for both these guys makes a ton of sense and if you look at expected weighted on base for these four starters uh ryu is at 268 which is fantastic kershaw is at 278 i'm not going to make the case ryu is a better pitcher than kershaw because i'm not insane um but the way they pitched it's it's pretty close we have a uh,
0: up on the site now we gather this is something we, usually, we do every year before the posting starts we gather like a. Uh, anonymous scouting reports from r- around the league from players and scouts to kind of talk about the players in the playoffs. And I always enjoy reading what players have to say uh, about uh, their their foes when they don't have to uh, put their name on it. And this is from an NL West outfielder about Kershaw that I thought was really interesting. He said, he's obviously not the same Kershaw three to f- three or four years ago, but he's still the best. You just have to sit fastball. He really doesn't use his changeup, so you don't have to worry about anything going away from you. Everything's going to be coming into you. Heater's coming into you. Slider's coming into you. And if he throws a curveball, you just you just you just don't chase and hope it's not a strike. So I thought that was interesting. The idea that like you know, it used to be, be you used to have to worry with Kershaw in addition to his breaking stuff that there would be something that would fade. But he doesn't really throw that curveball anymore, so it's kind of an interesting thought. The thought I'm assuming that we can narrow this down to a right-handed hitter. Yeah. Um, but the I, idea I of the, Hunter like, Pence. <laughs> <laughs> um, the idea of like how you sort of visualize an at bat against uh, Kershaw.
1: Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, I mean, I think. Assuming he doesn't get hurt, we always assumed he was going to opt out this winter. And I'm fascinated to see how that that works out if he does. He just he's been good, but he hasn't been like capital K Kershaw, you know.
0: Uh, he's not nothing out. He's going to get a year or something added. That's my prediction. Well,
1: he's going to opt out to get that. But well, I'm
0: saying he's going to do it before they're going to agree to it before I ever bothers opting out.
1: Fair enough. Uh, the Dodgers' offense, by the way, led the National League in runs scored, home runs, weighted runs created plus, walk rate, weighted on base average, expected weighted on base average. I don't feel like they get credit really for being a dominant offense, but they've been really, really good, and they're incredibly deep. I don't. Act Actually know if Brian Dozier is going to even make the postseason roster. I don't think Chase Utley is going to make the postseason roster. Um, I think Kike uh, Hernandez is probably their starting second baseman right now because he's started to hit righties this year, which has been awesome. Uh, they are so deep, and even Manny Machado, like he's not been the superstar you'd expected, but he's been solidly above average. I think Chris Taylor is a bench player now, uh, which tells you a lot about how how deep they've been.
0: Well, they're basically a straight platoon lineup, and the Braves are only throwing righties, so it's going to be the right-handed lineup right or their 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 lineup they face against right-handed pitchers
1: I mean pretty much like obviously you don't platoon Machado you don't platoon Turner
0: but like every other spot is essentially a platoon is it not
1: uh not Puig because he's on this like third year in a row of reverse platoon splits which is kind of weird uh but yes obviously they've got so much flexibility with that so I think you're right uh the Braves by the way I'm really excited to see Ronald Acuna on national tv and I don't need to tell you that he's been great but I'm going to tell you anyway Since August 1st, of anybody who has had 200 plate appearances, he has been the fifth best hitter in baseball, and as you might imagine, there are some names ahead of him. Christian Jelic, Mookie Betts, Justin Turner, JD Martinez... And then Ronald Acuna, who has lived up to every expectation and then some. And I feel like he's going to do something incredible against, I don't know, Kershaw or somebody in one of these games. And people are just going to be like, oh, my God, this guy is amazing. We need to pay more attention to him.
0: Yeah, that's I mean, that's kind of my, my general feeling on Acuna and why I think the Braves are going to win this series. Oh, um, OK. Is, is that I think that we're, we're still... Oddly, kind of underselling how good Acuna is. I think that like maybe outside of Jelic, he's the best player on the National League side of the right now. Is like if you're picking teams right now, on the National League side, he might be my he might be the the, the, the number two pick. I,
1: I think I'd go Justin Turner, but just, just for this week, not but, like the future. But, but the point the
0: point remains. I think that sometimes like sometimes guys arrive and they're literally like among the best players from day one, like Mike Trout was, and I think he's just that kind of player. And it, yeah, and. I treat him. I treat him when I look at him. I treat him as okay. This guy's one of the top, you know, you know, top five, top ten players in the game. A difference maker in a way that maybe people aren't fully appreciating just yet.
1: I think we uh, got so spoiled with him and Juan Soto coming up at the same time that it was easy to overlook. Uh, the Dodgers are going to start three left-handed pitchers. They're going to have Kershaw, Ryu. Rich Hill. And then also Walker Bueller, by the way, who has been a total stud. But anyway, uh, it's kind of cool. If you look at Freddie Freeman, who is a left-handed hitter, he's had almost no platoon split at all this year. Against right, he's a 385 on base. Against left, he's a 393 uh, regular on base. Uh, weighted on base difference a little bit more power against lefties so that's not really something they can attack with and they are not going to have most likely Dansby Swanson who injured himself Charlie Culberson is going to be starting at shortstop you may remember Charlie Culberson Dodger fans from starting at shortstop last year when Corey Cl- uh, Seager got injured so it's not like he's never done this before also the
0: guy who hit the walk-off home run in Vince Scully's last game yeah. Dodgers <laughs> yeah
1: and he's had a couple of like giant like uh, the manager of the Braves, Brian Snicker who has generally done a very very good job called Charlie Culberson his MVP of the year this year for his team which I thought was you've seen Ronald Acuna right (laughs) and Freddie Freeman like you have good players Um, but anyway Charlie Culberson is going to be starting at shortstop so I think they're going to obviously give a little something back on defense because Swanson is very good and Culberson's kind of a fill-in but there's some fun numbers with their offense you would look at the surface numbers and you would say that Culberson has been a better hitter uh, because he has hit 270, 326, 466, so his weighted runs created plus is 108, slightly above average. Swanson, not so much, 80 weighted runs created plus. He has been considerably worse when it comes to outcomes, but the underlying metrics do not tell the same story. Culberson's hard hit rate is 30%, Swanson's is 34%, and if you look at every hitter who's at least 200 plate appearances, of which there are 355 guys, Culberson's 76-point difference between his expected weighted on base and his actual weighted on base is The largest in baseball now, these stats don't work in a way where I can promise you regression is going to come in the next five days, but it does tell you a little bit something about what the surface stats are actually saying.
0: And it that said, it's like it's not probably not as big of a drop off as it might be advertised because Swanson is really at this point, ever since other than like his first two months in the big leagues, hasn't really hit right. I'd obviously rather have Swanson, but this is not if you're going to lose a starter if you're the Braves, like. He's.
1: It's going to hurt on defense, also, yeah. but yeah, I don't really think the offense is that big of a deal. But I, I'm fascinated by these numbers for Culberson, I mean, and he's going to come up and hit some walk off home run, and everybody's going to lose. And if you
0: haven't really been paying attention that closely to the Braves this year, you might actually think Culberson's playing uh, Swanson's playing shortstop <laughs> because he and Culberson <laughs> look identical.
1: You, you literally can't tell them apart. It's it's uncanny. It's kind of creepy. <laughs> You're going to pick the Braves, aren't you?
0: Yeah, I'm taking the Braves in
1: five. Dodgers in five I think the Dodgers are too deep and too talented and um, I'm I'm just too invested in Walker Bueller as a superstar
0: yeah no he looks really good and he's I mean he's we we haven't really talked about him on this show but he's kind of when we first started doing the show we talked a lot about high spin four-seam fastballs uh, and how they can be difference makers for pitchers up in the zone and he is like the kind of new poster child for this in terms of like a fastball, you know, 98-mile-an-hour fastball with the spin rate above 2,500 RPMs, which for a fastball is kind of like the gold standard. So he's basically the – he is the Verlander fastball, essentially. And he's
1: kind of a nerd. And like that, that speaks to me. Uh, my friend, you know, wrote a great article at The Athletic recently where he went and talked to him, and he's like, yeah, I changed the, the grip – On my slider because my cutter and my slider were too similar and I needed to get more separation and here's how we did it and here's what the numbers say and it's been a big part of his success um, which I just you know love these incredibly talented athletes using numbers to make themselves better so Dodgers and four Braves and four that's right Braves and five mostly I just wanted
0: us to disagree on one and I also think that I'm I'm just sort of invested in. like Acuna as you know, dominant difference maker.
1: Fair enough. All right, the final series is Rockies and Brewers, which I think um, is maybe the most interesting series to me. Like these teams are fascinating. I always that's like, giving I, me a look. He's I always, like, no, no, I, always
0: no. I always like new blood yeah. in the playoffs. So to me, this is it's a it's a fun series. You know, there's a lot of different variables here. Yeah.
1: So uh, as as I said, I got to uh, broadcast the Rockies Cubs wild card game the other night and. Um, I thought to myself, well, I need to do something that's maybe a little counterintuitive and maybe educational to a larger audience. So I went in kind of hard on the fact that the Rockies have a really good pitching staff and can't really hit. And if you look at the game, well, it was like 13 innings of not much offense, and they really lived up to that really well. Uh, Kyle Freeland was awesome in that game. And And here's my question is... How much Kyle Freeland do you get, right? Because they're going to have uh Senzatella is going to start tonight, Tyler Anderson it sounds like is going to start tomorrow. So Freeland won't be able to start until game three, which means he will only be able to start once in the series. Now, game three is in Coors Field, which is great for him, that's going to be a huge moment. He's a local uh native, but it's it's a somewhat of a disadvantage that he can't start twice. And also, Marquez, Herman Marquez, who we've talked about a lot, who is like Walker Bueller for me, but just on Colorado. Probably not going to start until game four, if there is a game four. Not that the Brewers have a strong starting rotation or anything here. They don't have a starter tonight. It's going to be Brandon Woodruff as the initial out-getter. Uh, I do think that hurts the Rockies a little bit. Their best two starters can't appear until three or four.
0: The flip side of that is there's something to be said for knowing for going into a game at Coors Field, knowing you have pitchers who you are confident agree. are really good at Coors Field, which most teams cannot say. But for the first time in a long time, the Rockies have two starters who, in a given Coors Field, they think, Here's a guy who could come in and probably only give up one or two I, runs.
1: I completely agree with you on that. It's also fascinating that we just talked about four Colorado starties and di- starters and didn't mention John Gray, who has kind of fallen off the face of the earth. And um, I'm going to get a, a lot of personal irony out of this series because you're going to see Lorenzo Kane in center field, who I spent like all winter stumping for the Rockies to sign Lorenzo Kane, uh, and they didn't. And then, you know, Charlie Blackman did not have a good defensive season out there. Uh, so that's going to be a thing. The Rockies, you know, we've talked about their hitters. Uh, this isn't, I said this on the air that I know this not how wins above replacement works but it's kind of was funny anyway. Ian Desmond and the rest of the Rockies' first baseman were with negative 2 wins above replacement. That was the fourth lowest in the 21st century of any team's first baseman. You may remember the Rockies tied for the National League West and they gave away two wins at first base because they signed Ian Desmond. I thought that was interesting. Um they have the lowest batting average and second lowest on base percentage in team history. Their 289 road-weighted on base was the 27th in baseball, ahead of only Detroit, Baltimore, and San Francisco. I don't think this team is a good lineup. Um, Story has been great, obviously. Arenado, yes. Dahl has had his moments at home. Uh, as we mentioned, it was kind of a mess the other day, And, you know, Charlie Blackman. And beyond that, catcher, not so much. First base, not so much. Para, Cargo. I don't
0: know. The like an adequate, okay. like totally cromulent uh, major leaguer. Ooh, wow, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's, and that's why you know we go, we go, but we we touched on this at the beginning. The decision to double switch out Blackman, uh, and this is even this isn't even the Charlie Blackman of a year ago. But even still, you look at that team. It's okay. We've got three above-average hitters: Gra- Story, Arenado, and Blackman. And, and
1: Blackman had been so good in September; he was crushing the ball. So
0: you can you can't double switch those guys out no matter what because when they're out of the game, the lineup is. Brutal. Fortunately, they actually got a couple good at-bats from Gerardo Parra, who's like a nice bench player but that's what he yeah. is but he had a couple of really nice at-bats in that game and he, he was the guy that sort of got the hit that set up uh, the tony wolters uh well, they also, magic
1: they also let drew butera hit in big spots more than once which was i don't know maybe that tells you most of what you need to know about the Rockies. but their, their their starting rotation is really good and i want to make a point about their bullpen if you look at their season-long bullpen numbers it's not impressive and part of that is just because they play a course field but also part of it is because that incorporates guys who are going to have no Business being in this postseason at all at this point, who really cares that Mike Dunn was terrible before he got hurt, or that Brian Shaw was a disaster? These guys are not going to be on the the, the playoff uh, roster here. And if you look at like their big four, uh, Adavino, uh, Sun Wang O, Scott Oberg, and another guy who I'm totally blanking on who was really good this year. They Wade had, Davis. Not, there we go. Wade Davis. <laughs> I knew it was somebody. I didn't have my notes in front of me. Their big four has actually been really good, and I think you know you compare that with a pretty good starting rotation. I think. You know they don't have a better bullpen than than Milwaukee, right? Because they don't have Josh Hader and Corey Knibb and all these Jeffers and everybody. But it's not as big of a difference as I think people are going to make it out
0: to be. Yeah, O has been such a great find for them. And you know reliever performance is so volatile. A couple of years ago, he came in with the Cardinals, the final boss. Yeah. He was awesome. Then he kind of took a dive. He was in Toronto and he hasn't been as good. And he's and he's not young. You know he's like in his his, his mid or late thirties. Yeah. But he pitches with such uh confidence. Like he came in the other day and like and it was like the eleventh inning. And I forget if it was against like. I think it was against Bryant or one of the other clubs like power hitters, and he just like drops in this like first pitch, like seventy eight mile an hour curveball. Yeah, it was just like who is the confidence to <laughs> just like throw that pitch in that situation, knowing that if you throw a meatball, it's going out to Waveland Avenue. We
1: we have a lot of love for Adam Otavino on the show for a lot of obvious reasons. And he comes in the other night and his slider was moving like crazy, but he wasn't c- controlling it. And he, he, you know, and his fastball, he wasn't even throwing for strikes, and he looked kind of like a mess. And then to finish off that inning, ninety-seven at the knees, his fastest uh thrown fastball of the entire season which was so cool
0: yeah i can i i, I didn't look to see if the pitching ninja did a gift of that one but that was no. like the movement on the movement in velo on that pitch was uh obscene and of course he gave up the game time double to baez it was probably the worst pitch he threw in the game because it was oh two baez was going to swing at anything <laughs> yeah he right. allowed the slider to get some of the plate and baez has that amazing plate coverage and was able to pull it into the gap uh and I'm still I still, as I said i'm I'm still surprised that they were and impressed that the Rockies Bullpen was able to keep the Cubs off the board for you know whatever it was seven, seven innings. And that Baez double was the only extra base hit the Cubs had the entire game.
1: It, it, that's absolutely unbelievable. Uh, by the time you listen to this, you may have known if Brandon Woodruff being the initial outgetter was a good idea or not from our point of view. Um, I think it's fine. I, I think you know, they, they don't really have like an ace starter. I think tomorrow is going to be Yuli Shassin. Um, they've had a better bo- uh, rotation than I think people think. Like, chassine has been pretty good. Chase Anderson didn't make the roster. Uh, they didn't bring—I think this tells you a lot about the Rockies' lineup. They did not carry lefties Dan Jennings or Xavier Cedeno. And if it was, like, the Cardinals against them, they would have because they want to neutralize Matt Carpenter. But that says to me they don't actually fear any lefty hitter on the Rockies. So that's what Blackman and Dahl, I guess. Yeah. So that tells you something. The Brewers' bullpen has obviously been fantastic. Uh, Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Cain running around that outfield in Coors Field. is going to be a lot of fun. And Ryan Braun had the highest hard hit rate of any player in baseball in September. Like That's super cool to me. Um, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I really think the Brewers' bullpen is going to neutralize that Rockies lineup. I'm going to go Brewers in four.
0: Uh, I'm going to go... Rockies and five wow I think I
1: think actually as I said I think having you, nobody can see this but Matt is wearing a purple shirt right now
0: <laughs> um it's more of a burgundy uh. um he, I think as i said the 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 fact that the, if they can get Marquez and Freeland at home, I think that's a much bigger home field advantage than they even usually have they could have their two best pitchers at course field against you know whoever it is starting for the the Brewers the Brewers are kind of playing a little bit of gamesmanship they you know normally the custom is in postseason is you kind of uh, Announce your starting pitcher the day before, and then the starting pitcher speaks in the media room at the podium. It's just sort of part of like kind of like the the usual protocol. But they didn't announce their starter yesterday. They didn't start their announce, they didn't start announce their game one starter until like, uh, you know. 11 a.m. this morning, or I should say, their initial out getter, Brendan Woodruff. So it, there's definitely a little bit of gamesmanship going on where they're, you know, because they know that they don't, they're not really relying on their starting pitcher. I guess Chassine is the one guy they have some faith in. Wade
1: Miley has been surprisingly good. Yeah, but it'll
0: be, you know, they, I could see them doing other kind of opener, you know, out getter situations. And it makes, I could, Wade Miley is the kind of guy you could see doing an opener situation with where you let a reliever, um, Get through start, some of those righties. Starts the game and then bring in yeah, Bren, bring in my yeah, yeah.
1: Some righties against like uh, Arenado and Story, and then you bring in the lefty. Milo. I like yeah. that idea. And you know, all four of these series, I think are going to be a lot of fun. But there is, if I had to pick like one moment, I'm most looking forward to, it's probably going to be Sunday in Denver when Kyle Freeland comes out in front of a sold out Coors Field. He's a local kid. He's been an unbelievable this year. That is going to be so cool. That place is going to be popping. Yeah, know, that's. that's I mean, that's.
0: Awesome. I'm I'm excited for him. That's kind of the dream for every kid, it's, right? It's you know, like so cool, your hometown park. Uh, Playoff atmosphere. And that's another cool thing that I always love when these teams make the postseason when they haven't been there for a while, is you get that excitement in the ballpark of like, oh, this is new. Like, remember Pittsburgh a few years ago, it was bananas. Yeah. Um, Toronto was pretty wild when they got right. there for the first time in a while. So we got, I mean, Miller Park, they closed the roof. It's going to be They announced they were going to. crazy. I mean, you know, make the jokes about Rocktober, what have you, but we know Coors Field is going to be going to be bouncing. I
1: remember they made the wild card game last year and lost, and they played that game on the road. So they never ended up getting a home Great game. Great point. They haven't so, played it
0: since, what, 2009? Haven't played home playoff game?
1: I don't remember exactly, but yeah, it's, 2009. it's been a while. Uh, okay, so we agree in the American League. We both agree on the Yankees and the Astros, and we disagree entirely in the National League. I say Dodgers and Brewers. You say Rockies and Braves. Uh, there's no wrong answer there. I love all that. And I guess by the time we talk next week, we will probably have had at least one series end, I think. And I guess depending on when we do the show, maybe we'll be talking about game well, five. Well, that's
0: the thing about the DS. It ha- it just, it's it's quick. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's it happens, uh, it happens, uh, it's over in not quite the blink of an eye, but, uh, you know, by Sunday, we could have a... Uh, uh, series is finished.
1: Tomorrow is Baseball Apocalypse. There are four playoff games. Uh, all four series are playing tomorrow afternoon, Friday afternoon. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you again for anybody who listened to the broadcast on ESPN two uh, Cubs Rockies the other night. We had such a blast, and I appreciate it. Anybody who said anything kind about it. This is our show for this week. This is the Statcast Podcast. Thanks for listening.